So it's great to be here again today, and I'm going to continue with the seven sign series of the Gospel according to John. And hopefully today we can get a much better and, and deeper understanding of the implication of Jesus' incarnation and his salvation to us. So if you remember the first two signs of Jesus in the John's Gospel are and you you don't remember, okay. Okay, the first one it's turning water into wine, into Lafitte. And second is clearing the temple in Jerusalem. Alright, so the two of them. In the first two signs, we come to realize that the meaning of those signs that Jesus intended to reveal is much deeper than we can see from the service. In turning water into wine, Jesus did not do it just to show off his power. Power of Jesus was not the main point of the sign. If you still remember, there were six stone jars, stone water jars, which were there to satisfy the legal and ceremonial requirements for purification. Jesus turned the water in those stone jars into some premium wine. But Jesus did not ignore or, or demolish the stone jars whose purpose was to fulfill the law. However, Jesus gave them a new purpose. Rather than being used to fulfill the law, now they are used to carry the wine that brings people joy. Jesus came to bring grace into his fullness. That's the first sign. And the second sign, Jesus cleared the temple and expelled some of the merchants from the temple's outer court. And Jesus did this, however, was not because Jesus wanted to protect the dignity of the sacred temple from being polluted by all the commercial activities happening in it. It was not what Jesus intended to mean with his action. Remember, after clearing the temple, Jesus gave an explanation to his action. And he said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Then John subsequently put a remark of Jesus' comment and said, But the temple he has spoken of was his body. The sign of clearing the temple is to show that Jesus came to replace the temple as the ultimate and complete symbol of God's presence, God's Emmanuel with his people. So ever after, for men to worship God, we no longer need to rely on the temple or the rituals, but only in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wow, I just preached two sermons in three minutes. I don't know why it took me so long last two times. Therefore, to summarize the first two signs, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, had fully substituted the medium between God and mankind throughout the whole Old Testament. Jesus has fulfilled the law and replaced the temple. In the Old Testament time, following God means obeying the law. In the Old Testament time, worship God means participating in the rituals in the temple. But after Jesus has fulfilled the law and replaced the temple, how then 
should men approach God? How do men and women express their faith now? Not by obeying the law, nor by going to the temple. Well, in this third sign in John's Gospel, Jesus will make known of this faith. This faith, he will make this make known this faith to us through the healing of the son of a royal official. Now I'm going to ask Florence to come up and, and, and read this passage for us as recorded in John chapter 4, 43 to 54. Good morning. I invite you to turn to your Bibles and follow along with me or read uh, the scripture on the screen. Jesus heals an official son. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went up to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, Florence. Let us all pray together. The Spirit of the living God, we give thanks to you that you have guided the Apostle John to accurately record this sign, this miracle in his gospel. And now we ask you, the Spirit, to guide us to enter into the reality of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' sign as never before. For we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This third sign of Jesus that we are exploring today is the first healing miracle recorded by the Apostle John in his Gospel. However, just like the first two signs, in order to uncover the meaning of the sign, we must dig into the cultural background and also the literacy structure of this particular passage. Well, first, to find the theme of this passage is not very difficult because it was given to us by John. In this passage, Jesus only spoke three times. The first two lines carried, the first two times Jesus spoke, carried a negative tone and, and more confrontational. These two lines are first, the first line wasn't really a direct uh, uh, a statement that Jesus made, but it's recorded by John for something Jesus has said. It says in verse verse 44, Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus has said this before. And also, too, uh, the second time when when Jesus spoke in verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, 
you will never believe. So if we pay careful attention to these verses, we can see that Jesus was criticizing some mistaken attitudes towards the Messiah, which include, first, giving no honor to God's representative, and second, a conditional belief that based on seeing signs and wonders. So when Jesus said the third and the last line in this passage, he decided to use this critical line to correct these wrong attitudes toward God's Messiah. The scripture says in verse 50, Jesus said, Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The men, the royal official, took Jesus at his word and departed. And then later on, John added, So he, the royal official, and his whole household believed. So, first two times Jesus spoke, was criticizing some wrong attitude, wrong kind of faith. And then verse 50 is a household truly believed in Jesus. This passage picks up from where the first two signs left off. After revealing that Jesus was, has fulfilled the law and replaced the temple as the ultimate representation of God's presence, how do men and women approach God then? How, what kind of faith do we need? What qualifies this faith? How do we believe in this Messiah? What constitutes true belief? Well, we have to know that it is not up to us to define how do we like to believe. As much as we want to, it is not up to us to define what constitutes true belief based on our own preferences. It is God, and only God, with His own will and sovereignty, decides what constitutes true belief. And this definition of true belief is what this third sign trying to, to reveal to us. But before we proceed to figure out what this true belief is, the scripture wants us to first, wants to first show us what true belief is not. What does not constitute true belief? What kind of belief that does not bring honor to God's prophet? What kind of belief that constitutes, constitu uh, constitutes conditional faith that based on seeing wonders and signs? And when we truly believe, what will we get from it? Well, let's see how the scripture unfolds all these answers to our questions. In the beginning of today's passage, it says that, after two days, the two days, he, Jesus, left for Galilee. Well, after two days, he was received in Samaria. Jesus had to leave and continue his journey back to Galilee. However, Jesus' reason to go back to Galilee was a bit strange, to say the least. He said he went back to Galilee for Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. There is supposed to be a conjunction here for, uh, in verse 44. There's a conjunction, it's like for or because at the beginning of the verse. So Jesus left Samaria for Galilee because he had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Well, this is strange, isn't it? Jesus said he wanted to go back home 
because he won't get honored there. Why he had to go to a place where no one honors him? Well, first of all, but what does own country means here? The Greek word is patrice, which is tied to the word for father. So it means home country or better, fatherland. In the ancient world, home country or fatherland is the most important form of social security for the general population. So it is very miserable if a person does not get honor in his own fatherland. For Jesus, his fatherland is Nazareth and is located in the region of Galilee. Therefore, these two verses seem very strange in first sight because the flow doesn't seem logical. First, Jesus was warmly welcomed in Samaria and in two days he decided to leave because he had to go back to his fatherland where no one would give him honor. Well, just as we expect no one would honor him in Galilee, surprisingly, the scripture goes on and says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. But they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So now, are you confused now? The flow doesn't seem logical at all. Didn't Jesus say, that no one would honor him in his own country? Well, how come so many people welcome him when he arrived in Galilee? Or did Jesus make a wrong judgment? Or thinking that no one would honor him, but in fact, a big crowd was waiting to welcome him. It's like one of those surprise birthday parties you, you may have. Like after a long day in your birthday, no one text messaged you, no one Facebook you. No one say happy birthday to you. Everybody ignore you. You were so down. You're going home. You open the door. Everybody is there. Surprise. Maybe Jesus was too humble. Maybe Jesus was too conservative. Well, I don't think that Jesus made a wrong judgment. I don't think Jesus was too conservative or too humble and make a wrong judgment on how people receive him. We have to pay attention. Welcoming Jesus does not necessarily mean honoring him. We need to pay attention that Jesus did not say that he himself has no honor in his home country. He did not say that the Messiah has no honor in his home country. He said that a prophet has no honor in his home country. From this specific word prophet, we can understand what Jesus is saying. Prophet can mean as simple as the spokesperson of God. Therefore, honoring a prophet can simply mean respecting and accepting his message and then obeying and following it. As simple as that. So in this definition of honoring a prophet, are, the, are these Galileans honoring Jesus the way a prophet should be honored? In other words, are these Galileans welcoming Jesus to seek out God's message and try to obey them? Obviously, the crowd was, John was describing had another agenda in their mind when they welcomed Jesus. The hidden agenda of this crowd was something that Jesus would despise. In an earlier passage after the second sign of clearing the temple, John, in the same way, mentioned a crowd had come to Jesus, welcomed him, and believed in Jesus. 
doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? But the next verse, verse 24 in chapter 2, it says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. These people came to believe in Jesus. They came to welcome Jesus. But Jesus did not put his trust on these people. Obviously, there is something wrong with the belief of these people. The belief of these people was not a prophet-honoring belief. Their faith is not a faith to seek out God's message and to obey it. Jesus did not put his trust on these people because they came to believe in Jesus only to seek out his miracles. These people came to believe to welcome Jesus because they wanted the Messiah to perform miracles to satisfy their own desires. Jesus despised of these self-seeking beliefs. He would not put his, his trust on them. So what kind of belief we have today then? What kind of attitude we have when we come to welcome Jesus? When we come to worship Jesus? When we come to offer to Him? Are we here to seek God's message in a prophet-honoring way and try to obey it? Or do we carry some hidden agenda coming in, worshipping God? The crowd in Galilee had the same problem. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So in verse 48, Jesus pointed out his, his disappointment to this welcoming crowd and said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. This crowd in Galilee was the same as the crowd in Jerusalem that Jesus did not put his trust on. This Galilean crowd also placed their faith on wonders and miracles. They came to seek miracles from Jesus. They wanted the Messiah to solve their problems, to make their lives easier. They wanted God to serve them. This is a belief that desire God to obey us instead of us obeying Him. This is not a prophet-honoring faith. This is not a God-honoring faith. In this situation, where people coming to Jesus with a wrong motive, someone broke through the crowd and came to beg Jesus to save his child because his child is dying. Jesus then would use this devastating request to present his first, uh, first sign. A sign showing what it means by a prophet honoring faith. John has given us some background of this healing sign. The gospel says, Once more he visited, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. As I said earlier, this is the first healing miracle John has recorded. In this miracle, the requests come not from the sick person, but from his father. And John told us that his father was a certain royal official. And it is most likely that this father is an, is an official for King Herod. Herod was a crazy man. 
is the violent king. And to Jesus, Herod is the murderer of his cousin, John the Baptist. And most officials of Herod were oppressors to the peasants. Now, this royal official who came all the way from Capernaum to Cana, where Jesus was, and he came to back Jesus, the cousin of John the Baptist, to save the life of his son. The situation of this official must be very devastating and hopeless. He no longer cares whether his begging to Jesus was politically correct or not. The only thing that matters now is that whether his son can be saved from the verge of death. But we might want to ask why this official would come and seek Jesus out. Why Jesus? Well, before this sign, Jesus had performed two signs, right? which are turning water into wine and clearing the temple. The first sign, turning water into wine, was not seen by many and was practically unknown to the public. But the clearing of the temple was seen by many, many people. Even many Galileans were present at the scene. This, that's why in verse 44 it says, They, the Galileans, had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem, clearing the temple at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. So this royal official might have heard of Jesus clearing the temple. He then came all the way from Capernaum to Cana to seek help from Jesus. Obviously, this royal official had recognized the sign Jesus had performed in the temple and accepted that Jesus is now the perfect manifestation of God's presence. Jesus is now God's Emmanuel. I mean, if he has not accepted Jesus' authority, he would not have risked the life of his son and his political career in seeking out Jesus, right? But this man had found Jesus by following the previous sign. Now, even this man had humbled himself and accepted Jesus' authority. It doesn't mean that he knows Jesus the Messiah very, very well. Look at his request. He begged Jesus to come down to heal his son. The word come actually means come down. The man asked Jesus to come down to Capernaum because Capernaum is at a lower altitude than Cana. So if Jesus is to go from Cana to Capernaum, he would have to go downhill. However, the key point here is not about landscape, but distance. From Cana to Capernaum, the distance is in fact not too far. It's walkable uh, by Jesus' standard. It's 15 miles, which is like going from metro town to Steveston in Richmond. And it's definitely not walkable by our standard. We all have cars. But if, from a medical healing perspective, this 15 miles distance is an obstacle between life and death. In fact, in Jesus' time, there were some tales of, of healing incidents, but very, very rare, if not non-existent, about healing from a long distance. Healing from a long distance was not conceivable in Jesus' time. That's why this father would never have thought of asking Jesus to heal his son from 15 miles away. That's why he begged Jesus based on how he knew it. 
which is for Jesus to physically go to his house to touch his son and then bring him healing. To this devastating father, this 15 miles between Cana to Capernaum was an obstacle that even God Emmanuel, the Messiah, cannot overcome. That's how he knew it. Upon hearing this devastating request from the royal official, Jesus responds, might seem a bit cruel. The scripture says, Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Why, Jesus? Don't you see how helpless this father is already? Why would you give him a hard time when his life is already hard enough? Well, we, we need to pay attention onto whom Jesus' confrontation was addressed to. Well, no doubt Jesus was saying to the father of the dying son, but he also addressed to you people, which is plural and obviously means the crowd. Jesus wanted to use this saying, this line here, to achieve two purposes. First is to test the faith of the royal official. And second is to use this opportunity to change the attitude of the crowd who came to only seek miracles instead of honoring God's prophet. Upon Jesus' harsh saying, the royal official did not give up. But unfortunately, he did not know how to respond to Jesus, so he could only repeat his original request. Sir, come down before my child dies. Without knowing better, he maintained his request, which is to have Jesus walk down 15 miles to heal his son by touching him. This petition of this father was in fact very much like ours. Don't you feel that? In our cry to God, at times when it feels like an indefinite waiting, what more can we say? What more can we tell God? What else don't you know, God? A lot of times, we could only repeat our petition over and over again. I wonder if this is why the word repetition is formed by re and petition. So upon the repetition of this father, Jesus spoke out a very stunning statement. Jesus said, Go! Your son will live. Now you can live. Your dying son is fine now. Go. Go in peace. I mean, what if it is you? Would you go? Or would you continue to persist your, your petition? Or even drag Jesus all the way to Capernaum? After all, you have your royal official. I mean, you have people you can, you can ask to do these dirty things. If we consider it carefully, it is reasonable to have doubts on how effective Jesus' healing is based on the teaching of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the most classic example of healing should be the prophet Elijah. And his masterpiece was recorded in 1 Kings chapter 17 where he miraculously healed the son of a woman from the verge of death. The scripture says, Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arm 
carry him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and carried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Then the boy was healed. Now pay attention on how the scripture emphasizes on the way Elijah performed this healing miracle. He did two things that Jesus obviously did not do. First, Elijah made contact with the boy. Even that he stretched himself out on the boy three times. The second, Elijah could perform this healing miracle only by calling upon the name of God, Yahweh. Now Jesus did not do either of them. Jesus did not come in contact with the boy because he is still 15 miles away. And worse, Jesus did not even call upon the name of a higher being or, or God when he performed this healing miracle. This is totally unconceivable in Jesus' time. Now Jesus, by performing a healing 15 miles away, are you saying you are even more powerful than Elijah? And Jesus, without calling upon the name of God, are you saying you are God? This kind of self-implication of divinity was considered a blasphemy in Jesus' time. And this is punishable for death penalty. And if you believe in Jesus' word, and if you become a follower of Jesus, well, you, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You would have to bear the consequence as well. That's why Peter, later on, would deny Jesus three times because of such fear. Upon hearing these few words, go, go, your son will live. How would this father respond? How would you respond? The response of this father is as stunning as Jesus' words. The scripture continues to say, the man took, at, took Jesus at his word and departed. Are you sure? Do you really think you, you could go? Just go like that? Well, he's sure. This devastating father did not insist on his own way. He humbled himself yielded to Jesus' way, and obeyed Jesus' word. His humble and obedient attitude had allowed his faith to grow upon his encountering of Jesus. This sign has shown us that what Jesus' honoring faith really is, is to listen carefully to his words by ears, believe in them in heart, and, in, and obey them in action. Even when his word contradicts with the ways that we have always known, we still need to give in to his way and obey his word. And this is what true belief is about. This is what prophets honoring belief is about. So, what do we get if we truly believe in Jesus' words and obey them? What does this father get? The scripture tells us, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when 
when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then, the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole family, whole household, believed. The Greek word for the word live, or, or, or here, it means receive life, uh, has many words. Greek has many words for life. In the Bible, the Greek words for live or for life usually are from two words. The first one is bios, which means physical, created life, as in biology. Our lives that will age, that will get sick, get injured, our life that will decay, that will expire, that will die, will turn back into dust and ashes, a bios life. But there's another word for life that the Bible uses, especially in Jesus' words. The word is zoe, as in the name zoe. Is there any zoe here? All right. Well, you may have to consider it now if you're having a child. This zoe life, a zoe life, is eternal life. It's uncreated life. God's life is zoe life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, here, it doesn't mean that whoever doesn't have the Son will die in an instant. No. Because he or she still has bios life. What he doesn't have, if he does not have the Son, is soe life, eternal life. Jesus also said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. But what life was Jesus referring to here? Is soe life, not bios life. Therefore, even our bios lives will all die eventually. We will live because we have received the soe life when we come to believe in Jesus. Now back to the sign today, when Jesus said, Go, your son will live. The word live is not bios. It's soe. This boy will eventually die, even he was healed by Jesus. But because the official and his whole household believe, they will never die. They will never need to worry about losing their bios lives. Because after their bios life, they will live in the soe life, which is the very life of God in all eternity. Isn't it great news, brothers and sisters? The sign is telling us that through our belief in Jesus and by obeying his words, God will grant us the soe life that comes from his own very nature. But this soe life to us has come with a great cost. The cost is for the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, who for the love of the world took upon himself a bios life, which he, he never needed to have. And with this bios life, he went through pain, torture, betrayal, distress, and death. In exchange, that we will receive soe life, which we don't deserve. Through taking upon a bios life, 
Jesus did not need, well, taking upon a bios life that Jesus did not need to endure, we receive the soe life which we do not deserve to have. Shouldn't we be grateful, be thankful all the time for what Jesus had done for us? Shouldn't we be more dedicated to his kingdom and his great commission so that the great news, the great news of soe life can be heard by the world in which it desperately needs to hear? Jesus told the Father, go, just go. Now maybe it is our turn to just go, to proclaim the good news. Brothers and sisters, go to the end of the world. Go proclaim the good news. Let us all pray together. Father God, what a grace and mercy that you have given us through Jesus. The length, the width, the height, and the depth of your love is just incomprehensible. And God the Spirit, please help us to overcome the hardening of our hearts. Help us to seek you, not for our pleasure or self-seeking desire, but for your word and your will. May your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. For we, for we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.